Hello and welcome. My name is Brian, and you're listening to Friends and Music with Brian Doherty, a podcast about all things music with a particular focus on music industry friends and colleagues. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please feel free to get in touch. And thank you for listening. My guest today is David Weiss. Dave is the founder and editor of SonicScoop.com, a leading online media company reporting on music, sound, and recording worldwide. He's also an internationally published journalist who has been covering audio production for Audio Media and Mix Magazine since 1999. His work has appeared regularly in publications such as Drum, Time Out New York, Remix, and many more online and print outlets on music and technology. He's also the co-author of the book, Music Supervision, The Complete Guide to Selecting and Licensing Music and Sound Design for Media. On top of all this, David is an avid electronic music producer and drummer. David records as Impossible Objects. He has composed for TV and radio commercials, as well as sound libraries. Let's meet Dave. David, welcome, and thank you for being here today. And I know a lot about you, but can you tell our listeners who you are and what it is that you do? Brian, hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. It's it's always a privilege to talk to you, and uh, a lot of times we don't get a lot of time together, so I'm true. glad we can we can stretch our stretch our legs here. How have you been? I'm pretty good. I'm. We're all holding, holding up and I'm trying to keep the kids active and busy and so on. So it's all good. Right. Holding down the fort. Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. So I'm David Weiss. And uh, what I, I do is I am a communicator. I often tell people that I'm like C-3PO, protocol droid. And I communicate in any and all ways ways that I can, where I really excel is by doing it with writing. And that's what I built my career on. And uh, that is uh, evidence of that is all over the, the interwebs and every form of communication, including a book and music. People can visit my content strategy practice at www.dwords.com. D-W-O-R-D-S.com. I'm the co-founder of SonicScoop.com, which launched in 2009. I'm proud to say has become one of the leading outlets reporting on pro audio, music production, and that type of related topics. Definitely please visit us there and join our free newsletter. And I'm the co-author of the leading textbook on music supervision, which is called Music Supervision. Mm -hmm. And and it can be found on Amazon and also at uh, musicsupervision101.com where there's a companion online course. Maybe we'll talk about that too. Yeah, later. Uh, And so, so that's who I am. And you also asked where I'm from. Is that, is that right? Uh, Yes, go ahead. Please tell us where you're from. Similar of my origin story. I am very proud to be 
from Detroit, Michigan, where nice. I really, I really was born in Detroit, uh, not in the suburbs. Uh, and that's where I was till I was about five. And I'm also proud to say that I was born in 1972. I don't, uh, I don't say just uh, where I'm from, but when I'm from, because I love 1972. I think it's the coolest year that ever was. <laughs> and I'll give you an interesting piece of trivia that not, not only is it subjectively speaking the coolest year that ever was, but it is actually the longest year in recorded human history. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Very few people know that, but but why might that be, Brian? How is this possible? Uh, a double leap year, or I don't know. Well, you're right. It's a leap year, uh, but what a lot of people don't know. Oh, wait, wait, some, wait, wait, wait. Let me, yeah. Let me try. Is that when daylight savings time changed? No, during the energy. Not crisis? that I know of. Okay. That could have that that could be true, but I'm not aware of that. Okay. Go um, ahead. Give it. Give it but, to me. That was a good guess. I love that. That that's great. I I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, the the reason is it's because why is there a leap year? It's because that the Earth Day is not twenty four hours, right? It's actually twenty three hours fifty nine minutes and fifty six seconds. And every four years, uh, we have to. Um, uh, we had to make a correction for that because, uh, because after four years, that time adds up. All those, all those little four seconds add up to a day. Um, oh my goodness. Right. But they don't add up to a day exactly. There's actually a committee that meets uh, and decides whether or not you have to add or subtract an additional leap second to further calibrate that correction. And 1972 is the only year where they added two leap seconds, making it <laughs> two seconds longer, <laughs> making it one second longer than, than any other year in okay. recorded human history. And if you take that just a step further, I, because I was always like, why do I see 1972 everywhere all the time referenced in news articles everywhere and i was like is it just because i'm born then no it turns out brian that if you multiply the human population that year times uh that extra second how much extra time do you think you get that would be the uh, i don't know i'm stumped go ahead it's 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 a it's 122 years of additional human activity we're jammed <laughs> into one into second into 1972, into yeah. the whole year. That's uh, that. Now, some may say this is purely theoretical, but I say, look how much you're going to see 1972 referenced uh, after you hear this podcast, and you'll know I'm right. So that's actually anyway. huge when you think about it as a collective, <laughs> right? Uh huh. Yeah. And I just happen to I be I happen to be looking up the songs from 1972. Do you know what some yes. of his songs are? Uh, yeah, I do know what some of them are, but I'm interested in the ones that leap out at you. Heart of Gold, Neil Young. <laughs> yeah. Brandy by Looking Glass, great song. Mm -hmm. uh, oh Girl by the, by the Chi Lights. By the Chi Lights. Wow. 
Um, Precious and Few by a band called Climax. I know the song, but I, I don't remember the band. Burning Love by right. Elvis. Lean on yeah. me. Listen to these songs. Yeah. This is like Mother and Child <laughs> Reunion. Uh huh. Saturday in the Park. I mean, come on. Those are so <laughs> Rocket Man. Come on. Those, right. Those are some great songs. Yeah, and don't forget American Pie. Um, uh, I didn't see that yet on the list, but yeah, American it's, Pie. It's there, and Go All the Way stairway by the to Heaven. Oh, Stairway St- to Heaven? Stairway to Heaven. Oh, yeah. my yeah. God. Are you feeling the magic of 72 I, now, Brian? I totally am. Good. I, I to- now, that, now, that we, now that we are in 1972, first, let me, are, are you recording your in, in, in Audacity right now? Yes, I am. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, so take us to 1972. Give us a little of your early history, maybe your family life. How, how are you getting into music? What are you thinking? What are you feeling at, at this uh-huh. point? Go, go ahead. Right, right. Well, in 1972, I, I'll tell you that I can take you all the way back to 1972 because I remember my birth. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do. Wow. Uh, and uh, not everyone believes that this is possible, which I find strange, but um, that's that I definitely remember my birth. Uh, and so I do remember 1972. At that particular moment, I don't remember thinking about too much uh, uh, about music. So really, to to fast forward, um, uh, and I could take a whole lot of time explaining what what that experience was like, but um, uh, to fast forward, I first really uh, became aware of music. Music started to become important to me, like of of particular importance to me. I guess it, at various stages. It's a, it's a great question. My my earliest memories of of music and some of my fondest ones are just uh, playing with my older brother in the basement. And uh, my father uh, Joseph Weiss was a physician, mm-hmm. and uh, he had a home office uh, where he liked to do certain types of bookkeeping and work in that in that basement. And then we had moved to a suburb of of Detroit, which was called Huntington Woods, Michigan. Okay. Um, and uh, he had a, had a lot of vinyl albums there, but what I remember most him listening to were records by the Beatles. Uh, and uh, I, like a lot of people, um, uh, became fascinated by them. Um, and uh, by, uh, since these were album covers, I remember being a kid and staring at the album covers uh, one of them was that collection, the Beatles 62 to 66. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it has a picture of them. Uh, there's two pictures on that album cover. One of them is, uh, uh, it was taken at some apartment complex. They're, they're looking over this, uh, over this balcony railing. Yeah. And do you know it? Uh, I do. I what, do know. Was that the red yeah. one or the blue one? I, uh, I, I, well, well, what it, what they did on this one is they have two pictures. They have the picture of them from '62, uh, when they're fresh, clean cut, oh, yeah, just yeah, starting yeah. out, right? And they're and and you can just feel how carefree they are. And then they went back to that same balcony four years later and and posed again, and just the transformation that they've that they've undergone uh there uh into uh you know to the style and fashion and and just 
uh, massive charisma that they're projecting there uh, made sense even to me as like a, a six-year-old. Uh, hey, Dave, Dave, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm going to do this, 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 this notion of, of it getting an influence by looking at an album jacket has come up time and time again, including, I'm also fascinated with it. We should, at some point in the future, we should just talk about album jackets, but uh-huh. you get so much visually and then there, there used to be so much information on the, on the album jacket, on the back of the album jacket. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm fascinated so you, by it. So you're looking at this, you're feel you're, you're listening to vinyl. You're, you're looking at the album jacket. Go, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and in enjoying the Beatles music, I, I think like nowhere man was on that collection. Uh, and, uh, songs like that. Um, and, uh, you know, just looking back, I, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it at the time, but what, uh, what was happening, happening to me was I was getting the impression that music was cool, uh, and that musicians were cool. Uh, right. and this was, this was an impression that started to form within me. Um, and then that, uh, I th- that continued to carry on and, and, um, in, in, middle school uh as i was in search of an identity (laughs) i started Mm -hmm. to gravitate towards bands and this was a very rich time uh for music when i uh this 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 happened to dovetail with uh early 1983 uh which is uh, really seen as as a real golden time for music michael jackson's thriller had just come out on December 26th or 24th, 1982, something like that. And, and, the, and I think uh, the human league was popular in yes. that year as well. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you take a look at, at, at the greatest hits of 1983, for example, I mean, what you'll see is like the real origin of what we call eighties music today. Yes. Um, so good. Yes, uh, a uh, where music transformed, especially because what they say is that uh, the early 80s, 1980, 81, 82, is considered a dark time uh, in, in pop. Uh, the, 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 the greatest heights that could be achieved was uh, Christopher Cross, uh, which is no, <laughs> no knock on Christopher Cross. Uh, but, Sail- sailing's but, a good song. Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, music exploded at that time, and it yeah. just happened to be uh, when I started listening to music. My brother had gotten a, a Walkman for a gift. He wasn't that interested in it, uh, uh, so I listened to it all the time. And so this was when Purple Rain uh, came out, and they were literally playing "When Doves Cry" every mm-hmm. hour uh, on on pop radio, uh, and uh, "Beat It" and Billie Jean. Uh, and uh, culture club um, and all these things. And, and I was really picking up on uh, not, only, not only the music, but the mystique. Um, and, it, and also at the same time, uh, I was a very scrawny kid. Um, Revenge of the Nerds had, had just come mm-hmm. out and I looked like I stepped right out of the cast. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I, I, I could have been Worms or Stunt Double. Uh, and, uh, and also on an interesting side note, actually uh, someone from my high school uh, starred in that movie, though he went there years before me, Curtis Armstrong, who played oh Booger. Um, 
So I, I didn't know. And, and, and he really was a, a great representation of my classmates at Berkeley high school, which were a, a bunch of really artistic, uh, uh, very clever people when I was there just at this regular high school. But, uh, yeah, shout I out, look shout like out to your high school. Nice. Go bears. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, and so, yeah. And, and so, uh, I was in search of an identity at this time and I was very self-conscious about who I was and also uh, another simultaneous cultural cross current that was happening then was that MTV was just kind of starting to take off then, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're talking 83, 84 around that time. And I noticed something very interesting as I started to see these videos. It's, it's well known that early on in MTV's history, uh, the, uh, a large proportion of the early videos were heavy metal uh, because for some reason, uh, the metal labels picked up on the importance of video uh, before mm -hmm. most other genres. Uh, and so I started to watch these videos and, and something very interesting struck me uh, about the drummer. Uh, in these videos is that these were big guys. Uh, they, you know, they, I was like, wow. I'm like, these guys are like football players, yeah. uh, but they're musicians. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, because I, I really, I was a, I was actually a huge football fan. I was and remain today a, a, a huge fan of the Detroit lions, which is a, uh, uh, a, a horrible thing that my father passed on to me because they're historically one of the worst teams uh, in all of professional sports. But I, uh, you can kind of liken it to the Mets, you know. Mm, I I can't even start, Brian. Yeah. Detroit Lions fans <laughs> seriously believe that we have it worse than than anybody. Uh, <laughs> but. But yes, Mets fans have absolutely suffered. Yes, that's true. But but you have won a championship, right? Am yes, I right? we have in eighty okay. something, eighty three or something. Well, 86. isn't that nice yes. for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, it's so and and I really wanted to play football uh, at that time too. But I really knew that if I attempted to step on the seventh grade team, that I I, I could maybe even get killed. Like that. Um, and so I made this connection that uh, by playing the drums, I could do something uh, physical, uh, uh, something, something that uh, I could join a circle that was inhabited by big guys. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and also, coincidentally, around that time, my parents uh, were nudging me to find something to do, uh, because I, uh, had, uh, really, uh, I had skipped summer camp that year and it just really wasn't doing anything. And I had already, I played piano for a bunch of years and I played cello for a couple of years. So I knew how to read music. Um, uh, and, but I wasn't really interested in those anymore. Uh, so I said, I, I said, well, I want to play another instrument. And they said, okay, sure. I said, said any instrument that I want? <laughs> they, said, they said, yeah, any they, instrument. They had no idea. <laughs> they really had no idea. They, I absolutely floored them. I said, I want to play the drums. And they, I, I know they were 
extremely surprised. Uh, and, but they, they said, go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I had them. And so, so I did start to take drum lessons and, um, it, uh, you know, it really, I was doing it as, as much to get my parents off my back as, as anything else. So it actually took me a, f- a few years. I hung in there with the lessons and it's one of those things where looking back on your life, you're like, wow, how did I actually have the, the discipline to, to hang in there with this thing that, that was so important, um, without really like, uh, it was just when I was too young to, to really understand the gravity. Of course. Uh, what are, what are some the, of those early lessons like? Are you using George Stone's stick control or do you remember your books or what your teacher was doing? Um, you know, I had, uh, I had two teachers early on. Uh, one, I remember his, I went to Royal, Royal Music Center in Royal Oak, Michigan, and they had a bunch of uh, crazy rehearsal studios in the back that uh, are probably aren't, that weren't as well lit as the ones at Drummers Collective where you and I met Brian <laughs> years later, but, but otherwise similar. Okay. And, um, and I'll tell you a funny story about that too. Um, but uh, so uh, uh, first was with Mr. Pickett, who was uh, a young guy, but uh, classically trained and um, uh, was really focused on, on, uh, showing me the correct, uh, uh, techniques in as many ways as possible. Um, but, uh, I remember he wasn't very much fun and I don't remember why I didn't work with him very long, but then, uh, I switched teachers to a guy named Kyle Kleckner, um, who, uh, was also kind of a young guy, but was very droll, uh, and dry. But I remember Mm -hmm when we met up for the first lesson and we sat down, he's like, okay, you know, um, and, and he was, he, he was all mentally prepared for the six month grind of teaching me how to read music. Um, and, uh, and he put book in front of me and he's like, okay, this is what a quarter note is. I'm like, oh, I can read music. You can read music. (laughs) (laughs) Was this from your piano influence? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, piano and cello. Um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, and he was, I just remember how relieved and how happy he was at, yeah. at that moment. Uh, and in fact, I think that's the happiest I ever saw him in, in the next like, uh, eight years, uh, <laughs> or, or, or something like that. Yeah, he was a great guy, though. I definitely couldn't have couldn't have learned the drums without him. Um, uh, and, and so yeah, so I worked with him and, and I had to I had to learn playing on a practice pad set there, but uh, my parents had, had, you know, they got me, they kept up their end of the bargain. We, I, I had a drum set, I had a horrible one, and then I upgraded to a better one a couple of years later. Um, but I distinctly remember the moment when I was practicing the drums and, uh, in my basement one day. Um, and uh, the, and, and, all of a sudden, uh, a lightning bolt hit me. I, I did something, and I liked the way it sounded or the way it felt or something, and I literally thought, wow, I can express myself creatively nice, with yeah. this. Good feeling. I, it, it, it was an amazing feeling, Brian. I'll, I'll never forget that moment um, because it actually hadn't occurred to me. It wasn't actually why I had gotten into it. Uh, as I said, I'd gotten into it uh, in a bid for respect, uh, uh, you know, so, so that I would not get 
beaten up by by the jocks of my school, uh, uh, which which uh, ha- had some had some very artistic people that also had your classic blue collar uh, roughneck element. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, so I was doing it for respect. I was doing it to get my parents to leave me alone. Uh, you know, d- doing something artistic hadn't actually been on my radar. <laughs> uh, and, and so when that happened, it really shocked me. Uh, and, uh, that I think I was about three years in it at that point. Um, so, you know, that's, that's when my experience with drums and, and music really became turbocharged. Uh, and are you, are you trying, are you looking to get into a band? Are you trying to jam with friends or, you know, are you dragging your drums yeah. all over town? <laughs> uh, all of that would, would come later. I think I actually had already, uh, I, I had, uh, my friends and I already had bands uh, up to that point already because uh, uh, don't forget, I was trying to be cool. Uh, and so, so I was like, okay, well, if you're going to play drums, you'll be in a band. And so I had done all that. And since I was a drummer, I didn't have to drag my drums anywhere. My, my friend would bring his guitar or nice or that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I eventually did start, uh, you know, as a, once that happened, I, I did get serious about being in bands and, and, uh, you know, by the end of high school, it was, it was the classic thing where I was playing in bars where that otherwise I could not have gotten into. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the marching band, uh, I, uh, got, I, I was able to become like the, the top drummer in the, in the marching band. Uh, I, I played the quad toms, uh, Ooh, I love those. In, oh man, I, I loved that. And, uh, and, and, uh, and it actually, me, me playing those quad toms actually fulfilled my vision of earning me enough respect from the football players to not get picked on yeah. by them because just to carry those around there, there you go you yeah. earn your stripes well thank you brian yes they yeah they were having <laughs> yeah I, I had to i had to become bigger you know and get in better shape and and all those things did happen fortunately i grew uh you know i got i got i got a little less geeky uh <laughs> um <laughs> But but my self confidence uh, due due to all these factors really like mushroomed and really grew, um, and so that's that's really the key role that drums played for me at, at this very pivotal time is that they um, they gave me they they helped me to develop this character and identity uh, that that I wanted uh, that I was looking for that I was in search of and um, and. And it just all mushroomed into a plan that that actually worked. Like we all have plans in our lives, right, Brian? And what yeah, they absolutely. say, man makes plans and God laughs. God laughs. But sometimes we we have a plan. We're like, I'm going to do A and B will happen, or I'm going to do A and and we'll get to Z if everything goes right. And uh, I I always look back in that and say, wow, I I had this plan and it actually it actually carried out uh, the, the way I was hoping it would. Well, as I'm listening to your story, which is amazing and compelling, um, I'm also thinking the same that just think of, unfortunately, there's probably people out there that always turn back and go, well, I, I wish I had learned the guitar. I wish, 
you know, I wish I had time. I wish my parents would have made me practice the piano more or something, but yes. I feel like as musicians, we're lucky <clears throat> to have this passion early on that keeps us going through like, you know, grade school and middle school and so on. So that's yes. really great. I think a lot, a lot will identify with, with your story. As you're describing your love of music, I'm thinking as well that you have a love of writing. So where does, where does that come in? Like, where does, so you, you have this other pathway emerging. So tell, tell us about that from, from where it came and so on. Yeah, right. That's an interesting question, uh, Brian, uh, because uh, I put the, I put how, how I feel and how I am relative to drums and relative to writing in two completely separate buckets. Uh, okay. And, and what, what I always tell people when I tell them my story about drums or, or that I'm a drummer and, uh, um, and I'll tell, I, I, at, at some point I'll be like, I have no talent at drums. <laughs> and, and they'll be like, what? They'll be like, don't say that. And like, you, you sound terrific. Like you're great. I'm like, yeah, but, but it's because I, it's because I love it, but not because I'm talented at it. Um, and how do I know what it feels to actually be talented at something? And it's because I know that I'm talented at writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. Okay. Yes. It's the, and that's the and, first time um, that I've ever heard that from you. Good. That's, uh, oh, interesting. yeah. Yes. I knew early on, uh, I knew before, before I ever picked up a drumstick that I was talented at writing. People started telling me this in fifth grade. Uh, my teachers really started taking notice then of, of how well I could write. Uh, uh, even, even then I understood like how to make a good segue or transition in between paragraphs or, uh, or sections of a five paragraph theme or something like that. Um, uh, I got a lot of notice for that. And so w- what I always say is that this is the thing is that um, we, the, the, the difference in between, in between these things is, is how it feels for me to do them for better or for worse, when I'm playing the drums and uh, I'm, I'm usually thinking a lot, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, even I, I may be enjoying myself and I definitely am. I, I love the physicality of it uh, and uh, the creativity of it and just, just the feeling of playing drums. But you know, it's, you know, it's fair to say that, that, I, you know, maybe I worry my way through a, through a beat or, or a performance or, or something like that. Okay. That's not what it, that's not what it feels like for me to write. Uh, when I'm writing uh, something complicated or engrossing uh, uh, or or deeply technical or or what have you, I just go into a zone uh, and um, i'm i'm kind of i don't i don't really know what I'm doing a lot while i'm doing it, but when I come out of it this this article is done uh, uh, or or whatever it is that i'm working on or this press release, because uh, I, I read a ton of those, but it, uh, it's done and, and I'll come out. It's like that, you know, it's like, a, I'm like, right. whoa, right. <laughs> I just, I just got that done. Um, and, and then I'll go back and read it and edit it. And that will be like, 
uh, a really enjoyable process for me. Um, so, and basically whenever anyone tells me about what they're do when they do this thing that they do, when they say, yeah, I really just go into a zone. Um, and you know, and then I get it done. That's how I know that they're talented at mm. something. I'm like, okay, that's your talent. That doesn't actually mean that you love it. Uh, I, uh, because conversely, when I tell people that I'm a writer, like uh, at a wedding or a party back when they had these things uh, prior to <laughs> prior to the pandemic and, and hopefully will again, yes, they, they, they'd always be like, oh, that's great. You love what you do. And and a lot of times I go, that's that's not it. That's that's not that's not about it at all. I'm doing what I'm good at. Okay. That's yeah. what I love. I it's love a, that. I want you to take us to Sonic Scoop, but I want you to get, give us the, how do you ramp up for, to, to Sonic Scoop? And then when we get to Sonic Scoop, I want you to, I, I, I feel like it's, um, I mean, it's a huge publication and pretty much the only source for, it's a very unique source for technology, audio technology. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't want to miss miss describe it. So mm -hmm. but before you do Sonic Scoop, what are you what are you doing? How are you ramping up? And then when does when do you decide I'm going to go out on my own? I'm going to I'm going to start my own publication. And how does that mm -hmm. happen? Right. Yeah. Um, what happened was that, uh, yeah, I graduated from Michigan, University of Michigan. I moved to New York City. I got my first job while I was here uh, when I was 22. And if we're doing the math, uh, that was 1994. Uh, and so I, uh, I got, yeah, I got, I got my first job, which was at a press release service. Um, and uh, let's not forget that the year before I did that uh, was when I met you, Brian. Uh, I had uh, come to uh, New York City to do an internship for for a summer uh, at IRS Records, oh, yes. Uh, which yes, which which I considered then and still consider to be one of the coolest record labels uh, ever. Um, yeah, I had. Because the year before that, I had begun working. Uh, I did a summer internship at uh, an amazing magazine in Detroit called Orbit. Uh, and if it, most people haven't heard of Orbit, but if they've seen Pulp Fiction and they see the shirt with the smiling globe that Quentin Tarantino is wearing in in his scene, uh, that's Orby. That that was okay. the mascot of Orbit. Uh, and um, when I was there uh doing a lot doing all my first music journalism interviewing interviewing a lot of great bands even then as they uh, mostly as advanced tour publicity for bands as they came through detroit uh did you I, did you have did you have any interaction with miles copeland at irs records well brian uh, what i envisioned because Stuart copeland was and is my favorite That's drummer right. of all time and uh fortunately years later uh for drum magazine, uh, which really launched my journalistic career. Uh, I, uh, I did get to interview Stuart for 75 minutes before the reunion tour. And that's dead. Oh that was goodness. definitely one of the, one of the biggest thrills of my journalistic career. I, what, I had always wanted to. Was that in person? Stuart. Was that in person no. or over the phone? No, that was over the phone. Um, 
the the greatest, my, of course, my greatest uh, in person interview thrill was Ringo Starr. That's right. Uh, yes, oh. I remember that. <laughs> how do you? Yes. How do you sit in front of Ringo Starr and actually speak? You know. Well, that's funny that you asked that, Brian, because I had a very, uh, I definitely had a plan for that. Um, and interestingly enough, my game plan going into interviewing Ringo was, I do not want Ringo Starr to remember me after this interview. <laughs> and that sounds like a funny thing for, for me to say, but there is a real reason for that, because up to that point, I, I had already interviewed hundreds of amazing drummers and rock stars and everything like that. And, and I'll say, uh, what a fabulous turbocharged my drumming and music production skills uh, being a drum journalist was uh, because I regarded these interviews that I did with drummers uh, as I, I would see them as the opportunity for a one hour or 30 minute private lesson. Yes. And this uh, is, with this is your research, right? Yes. Nice. Oh, they, this made me an infinitely better drummer, helped me nice. to punch far above my weight <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. as a, as a player. Um, but uh, with Ringo, uh, because I'd had plenty of experiences where I'd interviewed great drummers and, at some point uh, during the interview, uh, you gel with them, uh, and uh, and it's easy to put yourself in the mindset of like, "Hey, I I, I want to be friends with this guy afterwards, uh, or the, or this girl." Um, and these people are super cool, and they're stars, and and I want to be friends with them. And and journalists definitely fall into that trap all the time um and that can that can affect how you interact with them right. the type of questions that you ask um yeah and i was like i cannot go there with ringo Starr uh for a couple of reasons uh, one is that i can't one one way you try and get there is by asking them an incredible question uh one that will blow their mind and, and make them see how incredibly insightful an original you are and, and, and what a fantastic thinker and, and impress them that way. And okay. Like, so, okay. How do you get them? <laughs> Come on. You're, you're leading us up. And, and I did read this. I, I, I did read your article, but I, Oh, I've, I don't remember it to be honest with, with Ringo. I'm yes. sorry. I actually wrote two articles about that interview because I had actually managed to get that interview, um, with, uh, courtesy of drum magazine. Uh, uh, but, so I did. I did one. I did one with totally different quotes for drum, and, and my great editor there, Andy Dorshak. Shout out to Andy who nice. hired me uh, all those years ago, and I, I really appreciate that. Really, just a, an awesome guy. Um, and uh, and so I used all all different quotes that I got from Ringo for for that article, which was for uh, a groove issue uh for drum magazine then the other yes all you readers go to sonic scoop and uh type in ringo star and uh, or verbalize it with your verbal search um and uh read it it was for the release of his album why not so how did i get there so yeah, how do you get what, what's would, the mindset how are you getting to these questions go ahead so how am i getting to the questions for ringo or yes. for everybody yes okay no, for so ringo. for ringo so what i deduced was there is no possible way that I can ask Ringo Starr a question that he's never heard before. Uh, uh, this, this man has been interviewed thousands of times. Uh, and it, it, just to 
just to aspire to ask him such a clever question that I will blow his mind just is like, it's just, it's just not a, a smart course to take. Um, so instead, uh, what I do, the, the mindset I put myself in was, was that, uh, I had a job to do. Oh, so conversely, what I figured then is that if I did attempt to do this, uh, I could very well, uh, accidentally wind up asking him something really stupid, um, mm-hmm. or, or else, uh, in my attempt to show how clever I was to say something flippant, uh, uh, in, in that, in the process. And I just didn't, I just didn't want to go there. So I was like, I have to just really come in there as a super pro. Um, and, and the goal has just to got to be to, to get the information that's going to make a good article. Um, and, and, and he's keeping in mind that he's promoting one product, yeah. right? So he yes. wants to keep it. He probably wants to keep it to that as well. Yes. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, sure. That's it. And also, um, I wasn't alone in this interview with him. This is one of the very few times where it was me. And, uh, uh in this case, uh, there was four other people. Uh, he was, he was doing interviews in batches at, uh, I believe at the Waldorf Astoria, uh, in a, in a conference room in the Waldorf Astoria. I will say, however, though, that when they let us in the room, uh, you know, they were letting us in to, to, uh, interview him, four at a time. And unintentionally, I was the first person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm sitting next to Ringo. <laughs> like there was only one, one chair available, like next to him. And I was like, I shouldn't hog it. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm doing it. So I sat next to him and I'll, I'll just say the, 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 you know, um, uh, the thing I was not prepared for when the interview began was to hear his voice, not electromagnetically reproduced uh, very interesting uh, yeah uh, to actually hear it traveling through only about six inches maybe eight inches of the air from his larynx directly into my ear was a was a sensation i was not prepared for um uh and and so that that really actually kind of shocked me uh, at the moment and and that was something i had to recover from uh but uh, otherwise, I, I stuck to my game plan. And I will say that from, ironically enough, well, uh, one thing was, uh, as people went around the room, I noticed that one person I uh, identified, you know, said his name, not just where he was from, uh, like not what media outlet he was from, but also gave his name. So I said, I'll do that too. Uh, I said, I'm David from Drum Magazine. He goes, David from Drum Magazine. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it, I can hear it now. <laughs> yes, it made him very happy, yeah. and and this was where my experience uh, as a journalist also paid off because for I I've gotten to interview a few drummers like Ringo that are so, they've become such big celebrities that people actually forget that they're drummers uh, like Tommy Lee, you know. Uh, right. You yeah. could have had the journalists in the in, in the room with you weren't necessarily from drum publications, right? They weren't. Yes. I, I think I was maybe someone from Modern Drummer, uh, which is also a great publication, uh, was in there before after. But you could t- he really lit up when he realized that I was going to ask him specifically about drums. Um, and 
that was an advantage that I had. Uh, I had my interview, when I did my interview with Tommy Lee, to digress slightly, we did it in the Atlantic Records uh, lounge, I believe, and, and, and we had a great interview. Um, and in, in, in New York on 60th Street? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, believe, I remember it was overlooking Central Park. Um, uh, and, and when I, and uh, Tommy really enjoyed talking about drums with me. And I told a bunch about, I told several people uh, about the, about, about my interview with him. And, and people who knew Tommy would say to me, they'd be like, was he nice to you? I said, oh, yes, he was very nice to me. And at least three different people said the exact same thing after I said that. They, wow. said, they, they said, oh, he must have been on drugs. Aw. <laughs> just to be nice to a, to a journalist, you have to be on drugs. Uh, well, Tommy Lee had to yeah. be on drugs. <laughs> but but uh, I, I found out later that Tommy Lee loved the piece that I wrote about him, where I said specifically, I said, people forget that he's a drummer. There's probably right. a lot of people out there that don't know he's a drummer. Yeah, Ringo like a celebrity. Yeah. Yes, he's just a celebrity. Why is he famous? Who knows, you know, but I'm, I'm seeing about him on TMZ. Um, Ringo fit into that same category. So he was very happy to talk to me just about drums. And so the funny thing is, I'll just say afterwards, um, and he was a perfect gentleman, and he even uh, on requests uh, said hello to my dad um, uh-huh. on, uh, on a recording. I asked him to say hello, Joe, and he did that. Um, uh, really which nice. was great. Yes, it was. I, I, I asked him that after, because I said, you know, my dad introduced me to your music and we went, hello, Joe. Um, and, but I have a friend who's friends with his publicist and funny enough, my friend said later that the publicist said that Ringo enjoyed talking with me. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. That's so great, he, that's great he, feedback. He actually did remember me when when my whole goal was for him not to. So I, I find that very funny. What's one before we move on to Sonic Scoop? Is was sure. there one question that from that interview that you got? You know, what did you? What's 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 another big takeaway about either his drumming or his music or his experience? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, as. You know, I wish I could find the article from Drum because I really uh, enjoyed talking to him about drums. But I remember that he said something to me uh, that uh, that really resonated with me in my own journey, but also just blew my mind. Uh, what he said, um, I I can't remember what what I asked him, but his reply was, "My goal was to become a drummer. I became a drummer." I played with great people. There's, there's a simple plan for you. Speaking (laughs) of plans. (laughs) Yeah. And I wanted to say, yeah, pretty great people. Uh, Paul McCartney, (laughs) John Lennon and George Harrison. Yeah. There you go. Wow. It's like, you're in, you're in a band with those guys. I know. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Take this. Take in, yeah. uh, in in the interest of time, I'm, I'm just going to shift sure. gears a little bit. So take us to Son- Sonic Scoop is a oh, huge, huge of part of your life and of what you're yes. doing. 
um, from mm -hmm. the last, and, and so congratulations on it being uh, turning 11. I mean, thank um, you. That's, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And so yes, thank you. Set up Sonic Scoop, maybe for those who haven't either seen it or what, uh -huh. describe it, what is it, and why should they go? Why, yeah. why should they go and check it out? What, 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 what's there? Go ahead. Well, thanks, Brian. Yeah, well, just to super condense what happened was that after PR Newswire, I, I got a job working for Howard Sherman, who was a great audio publicist who had clients in the pro audio space, uh, including John Storick, who designed Electric Lady for Jimi Hendrix and, and 10,000 studios after that. And John is an amazing studio designer. Uh, and so this music background that I had shifted to pro audio. Uh, at that time, Howard had a few other pro audio clients as well. And so I started to get into uh, covering not just music, not just writing about music, but audio engineering. And it turned out to be a field that I was very interested in. I had recorded in studios, but actually never thought much about what was going on, except that I had to perform my best and left everything up to everybody else. Uh, and that's when I discovered that I had a talent for interviewing engineers uh, of all types, not just audio engineers, but broadcast engineers, getting them interested in what they did. Uh, this, this led to a lot of experience for me writing about audio uh, and en audio engineering. Uh, I became New York editor of Mix Magazine uh, at, uh, for point after that, which was a, a freelance gig and was amazing. Uh, my, my remit was to write one article a month about New York City recording. And mm -hmm. in my first column for Mix, like I, I said, are you kidding me? Like this, like I have, I have one of the coolest gigs on the planet uh, uh, because now I was getting entree into these places that I really considered and still considered to be extremely exciting places. For me, walking into a recording studio is like walking into uh, a football stadium. Mm, uh, I see. You know, you know that feeling, Brian. You get like when you walk into Yankee Stadium, mm -hmm. um, or for me, when I walked into Tiger Stadium or the Silver Dome uh, 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 back in Detroit. Like just like how real it felt. Like you know, it's like whoa. Like I've heard about this place, and it's real. Like. Uh, yes like I really got excited by studios. Um, and uh, so uh, just to make a long story short, uh, uh, leading up to 2009, the, the magazine industry was getting hit harder and harder. Mix was getting uh, uh, thinner and thinner. Um, Is that and because I worked of with on online technology? Or yes. Online yeah. Presence? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, print publications were just, uh, you know, getting, you know, going, going in the wrong direction while online journalism was going in the right direction. Um, and, uh, you know, I loved working with my editor at Mix, Tom Kenny, uh, another person I owe a great deal to uh, for his role in helping me uh, get to where I am now. Uh, and so, uh, but I was like, this job at Mix isn't going to last forever. Meanwhile, uh, and I built up all this social capital, what they call either social capital or social equity, your network of connections at New York recording studios. I'm like, right, uh, right. If, it, if and when this gig ends, if I don't do something, it, that will just all become worthless. Uh, and so uh, I started to make a plan for uh, just having my own blog on, on 
a New York City recording. Um, and, uh, and as this plan was taking shape, I was at a Christmas party with uh, another pro audio journalist named Janice Brown, uh, who's, who's a really brilliant person who I've known for, for a very long time now. And I just mentioned to her casually uh, over a drink uh, there, uh, I said, I'm thinking about starting my own blog on New York Recording. And she wrote for Pro Sound News uh, at the time. And she said, I've been thinking the same thing too. I always thought Janice was like one of the coolest people I ever knew. And 11 years into being in business with her, I still feel that way. Nice, uh, yeah. I've known her for uh, about, for I guess, 20, 20 years now. Um, I, said, I said, well, let's start it together. <laughs> and we, we left that party five minutes later and went to the nearest bar and started planning it out. John, um, that, that is so cool. Yes. Yeah, it, it is cool. I, 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 I love our Genesis story and, and we both knew and thought it was a good idea. We knew it would be very challenging. Uh, and it was, it, that was, that was at a Christmas party. So that was December, 2008. Uh, it took us clear till August to launch it. Um, and I'll just say some of the smartest things we ever did with Sonic Scoop. Well, so, but I'll say what was the angle that we, realized we could take with it. There were two at the time. Um, unbeknownst to us, uh, this uh, trend in journalism was was coming around called hyper-localism, um, which just meant that online journalism was going to report on local things. Uh, uh, and instead of just trying to cover the whole globe because it was on the World Wide Web. Uh, so we said, all right, well, let's make this focus on, on New York city recording this is where we both are we both have a huge amount of contacts here among studios um hardware manufacturers and software developers in the area so so let's focus on this because all the other pro audio online journalism at the time was kind of just you know like here's how to here's how to make your compressor work better and it didn't really have anything to do with where stuff was happening so we said let's make that an angle and the other thing was there actually was no native online pro audio journalistic resource at the time. Uh, any other, uh, anything else connected to serious pro audio journalism then was the website for a print publication like Mix or Sound mm -hmm. on Sound or Audio Media. So what meant was that they were putting something up online that was intended not to compete with their, with their print publication. Um, okay, yeah. So. So it was necessarily just kind of compromise and, and didn't, you know, didn't look that good either. Um, uh, so Sonic Scoop uh, took, took those two angles. And then the third thing was the amazing job that uh, our designer, Susan Hughes, did in giving Sonic Scoop its look, um, right. which I love. I love we, the look of Sonic Scoop, by the way. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, a lot of people tell us that it uh, compared compared to everything else in the space, it just it uh, just uh, has had and has this very fresh, uh, uh, inviting inviting feel, and and it really lends itself to photo stories. There's just something about it uh, about the color scheme. Everything that, that Susan did uh, just made it feel completely different when you got there. And, and, and people and manufacturers, just the sponsors in the space, uh, 
the audience, everyone responded to it right away. Um, and uh, I've got, uh, I've got, um, yeah. I've got, I've got a couple, couple questions. And, sure. Um, the first one is, so when you're making this, so, so you know about music as you've, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're playing in bands, you're, you're playing music, mm -hmm. but when you get to this pro audio, um, when you get to this place where you're where you're covering pro audio in new york so it sounds mm -hmm. like all, all this, the spectrum opens up you describe not, not only just like you know audio engineers but but broadcast engineers and so on so mm -hmm. it, what's the, how do you make the pivot what's the learning curve at, or or oh. is or is the interview itself educating you and in, in other words people people have spent like their entire uh, you know like five years at a technical school to like right. learn, learn about electronics in, in a stomp box, you know, it seems. Mm -hmm. So how do you just cover that stuff and write about it um, from, the, uh, just, yeah, just tell us more about that. I, that, I was, yeah. that was my question. Well, that's a good question. And um, actually, and what had happened is uh, during those years uh, where I was writing for mix is that I really had become a, bit of an audio engineer myself too in in that time because uh, i i be i became an electronic music producer uh probably starting at uh maybe actually even before mix i would say maybe 1999 or something like that i, I started getting into it um through drums because i was playing in a in a two-person experimental band uh we called it called uvula with a great guitarist named adrian rosario um and we were doing some really innovative math rock uh and uh the, around that time um uh and i was also friends with a terrific drummer that you might know named tony vetterosa do you know tony yes well i don't know him personally but i, I know oh. of him all right well tony is a great guy and if you have played a Yamaha electronic drum set in the last 20 or 25 years, I, I don't know how long he's doing it. He's actually the person that those drums <laughs> that, yes. that got recorded, like someone, you know, those, those drum hits that, that are in an electronic drum set don't get there by themselves. They're right. of course actually recorded by a drummer. Um, and Tony was the guy who, who did it. Um, and his brother, Frank, who's an awesome audio post engineer, who I still know uh, is the guy who actually recorded them. Um, Tony uh, had had a deal with Yamaha, of course. And at one point he's like, Dave, I have this A3000 sampler that I'm gonna sell. Do you and Adrian wanna buy it? Um, and we were like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, Cause he was offering us a good deal a lot. So we went straight to his apartment and and bought it and then went home and researched it <laughs> <laughs> and the first article we found said do not make this the first sampler you ever buy oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's and the reason was because of just like how high level the the interface was the end that it, it was not the, this author did not consider it to be user friendly um so uh, as with many things like this, of course, this was a, this turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Well, you know, we were like, well, it's, we're not going to get our money back from Tony. So we're stuck with this thing. So let's learn to use it. And so in order to learn how to use the sampler, I had to learn for the first time 
how to use an audio editor um, uh, and how to, how to make a sample. Um, and this was an extremely painstaking process for me at first. But then in the process, I became very interested in uh, making beats electronically um, and, and making, you know, in making music electronically. Um, and so I would never say that I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of audio engineers who, who really know the physics, um, who studied it for years and everything like that. Um, but I was, I was like a lot of people in, in my audience at mix at that point, by the time I was writing them, writing for mix was that I was trying to learn how to record things better with microphones. I was trying to learn how to use effects, uh, better when I was mixing, um, and become a better mixer and, and to do Some, okay as a master. Sorry to interrupt, but it, it, it sounds like, so it goes, so it goes hand in hand. The more you learn to, uh, mm. the more you're learning by interviewing and studying and covering it, you're learning about actually hands-on. And then the more you learn from the hands-on, you're, you're mm -hmm. better, you're better versed in the, in the world of, of electronics. I wanted to, I, yes. I, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up very, very shortly. Unfortunately, I'll have to have you back for, <laughs> for, for round two, but one of, of the course. things, one of the many features I love about Sonic Scoop is that you have amazing, ama very well produced and very user friendly uh, videos. Right. That, um, I don't know, for instance, I don't know when you guys did it, but you had a great Chris Lord Algae f uh, series. Oh, thank you. Um, and I don't know, just it's great to be the fly on the wall and just hear him talk about he had, one, one thing that I learned from that series was the guy does not like to listen back to anything loud. He said you should be able to hear your, mm. your fingers on your keyboard. Oh, wow. Yes. So like he, should, like he was talking about listen, uh, mixing a Brian, a Brian Adams record where, where you could hear, mm. you know, you could hear the, the assistant typing you know, on the right. keyboard. So anyway, so can yes. you tell us a little bit about some of the other features of Sonic Scoop? Maybe that, like how, to, how do you guys produce those videos? And yeah, you know, so tell, sure. tell us more. I would, I would implore everyone to just <laughs> go, go right there and, and check them out. So tell, tell Thank us more. You. Yeah, well, the, we've become increasingly more sophisticated on video and, and uh, I'll give most of that credit to our, our third partner, Justin Coletti, who, started writing for us uh in two like 2013 and what's funny is i met him i remember i was going to a recording studio party at a place called strange weather now on the way we bumped into tony maimoni who hey believe, tony who <laughs> Every, everybody dumps everybody bumps into tony in new york <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah it's oh it's great yeah so i remember that night that we met justin i i have that connected with running into tony um and uh yeah i just remember that but justin has done a fabulous job of of building up our video offerings which are, are very important uh he hosts a pod a weekly podcast the science suit podcast which is extremely well received um and we put on video on our youtube channel we also make video out of all of our annual mixcon uh events uh and that's really helped us to grow our channel um i think last time i checked our channel had more than four million cumulative views of all our videos video is a great way to teach about audio there's there's no one great way to teach about any topic 
Like that's what I found. Like right. pe- some people prefer articles. Some people prefer podcasts. Some people prefer videos. Um, just uh, one thing that I'll say that Justin and Janice both have in common is that they have really high standards for how good they want video to look, how good they want everything to look and sound. Right. Um, we, we pay careful attention to that as well. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I would encourage people to, to find our, our YouTube channel, just do Sonic Scoop YouTube, and you'll see videos like that one. That one you're referring to with Chris Lord Algae is pretty unique for us, um, where we went into a studio with a top mixer. We went into um, uh, uh, um, Avatar uh, with, with Chris, where he cut his teeth in the, in the 70s when it was, uh, or the 80s when it was the power station. Um, and, uh, he, uh, you know, he took us around there and, and what you're referring to with him saying that he mix that he, he checks his mixes very low or executes some of them at a very low level. That's the type of higher level knowledge that I had to learn as a mixer. That's not just how good does it sound loud? Like really the next level is how good does it sound low and how much more you'll learn about your mix. Uh, from there and 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 that and much 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 more knowledge is is everywhere on science group and and i do encourage people to come because we're our our number one goal is to show people how to make a living uh in part or in full with audio we're always trying to show best practices that way from people who are in the trenches we interview really big stars in the field and we interview people you've never heard of. Um, but the thing they have in common is they're making it work. So with, with that said, how do listeners, uh, find out more about your work? We mentioned Sonic Scoop, but how do they get in touch with you? Are there other platforms that, uh, that you appear on and and so on? And Mm -hmm. and then we're going to wrap it up from there. Sure. Yeah. Well, definitely. We've been talking about Sonic Scoop a lot. I'll say again, please visit Sonic Scoop dot com sign up for our newsletter uh it's free and we have giveaways uh, every two weeks and you can win great gear so there's just no reason not to sign up for that weekly newsletter uh you can email me there uh definitely encourage it david at sonic scoop.com you can find us on twitter <laughs> all all the usual social media channels we're very active on twitter facebook uh, Instagram is underscore Sonic Scoop. Um, so also visit me uh, at dwords.com. Uh, we didn't even get to talk about how all this mushroomed into me uh, writing about blockchain and cryptocurrency. I uh, do want to find out about that. So I, I figured <laughs> sure. we would we would do another. Maybe we would start at the Sonic Scoop point and launch from there and see where your what your other writing platforms are. Yeah. Yeah. We can do it. We'll do a part, uh, do a part two, but visit me at dwords.com too. Um, and yeah, of course I, I love to hear from people. Uh, so there as well. And all of your listeners can go to music supervision 101.com if they're interested in music licensing. Um, Ooh, great. and I will have a discount code, discount code, Brian, B R I A N for 20% off the course. Uh, and so, uh, you know, yeah, if sync licensing and putting music to picture 
is something you want to learn more about in depth, uh, do it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I, I think we'd all appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. You bet. Put it in the show notes. It's there. It's there. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm learning right. to do these podcasts. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, I, I, I found your story compelling and very, very interesting. And, um, I want to hear more about your journey. You'll, you'll have to come back for part two. Okay. You got it, Brian. It, it'll be a pleasure. Thank you. Great to talk to you today. Thank you, Dave. Take care. Well, that about does it for this episode. I want to thank my guest, David Weiss, for the wide-ranging and very interesting discussion. You've been listening to Friends and Music with me, Brian Doherty. To learn more about me and my music or to get in touch with me, please visit my website, www.briandohertydrummer.blogspot.com. And thank you for listening. Said there's no problem.